you're listening to Mysteries Beyond. What mysteries lie beyond the reach of our senses? And who are you in this vast multiverse? When a woman thinks alone, she thinks evil. The Malleus Maleficarum. Hello and welcome to Mysteries Beyond. I'm your host, Laura Lavender. Throughout history, witchcraft has always been perceived as evil. It's an art form practiced and performed only by those who dwell in sin. And we've certainly learned how society has treated a witch not well. (laughs) They usually ended up being tortured and then killed. But it's interesting to note that before the rise of monotheistic religion, witches were more respected. Sure, out of fear, but nonetheless respected. Because, for the most part, they could be the reason for the cause of your illness and or the healing of it. But as time passed, and society quote-unquote progressed, with it came about some precautions. For example, the Christian God was one people would call upon to protect them from their dark arts. And in the 15th century, a time where being a Protestant was considered a great offense. Being a witch, and or even showing the slightest interest in the occult, was considered a greater offense and was far worse. So, very conveniently, it was extremely helpful for both the church and the government to have something that could guide them and help them in identifying, interrogating, and convicting these so-called witches. And so, the Malleus Maleficarum was created and introduced. The Malleus Maleficarum, also known as the Witch's Hammer, was written by Henrik Kramer. And as I previously mentioned before, this book was basically a guideline on how to identify these witches, how to extract a confession from them, and how to punish them accordingly. And in this book, Kramer also highly recommended that torture be used in order to obtain confessions. If you're like me, and you're wondering, what was it to him? Why did he write such a radical, conceptual book? 
Well, his motive was not complex. It was purely for revenge and to retaliate. Because, after failing to prosecute many witches, he was dismissed by the local bishop. And after learning about his extreme ideas, he also deemed him a madman. So out of spite, he wrote The Witch's Hammer. And with it, saw that witches be prosecuted and made it a point to clarify that he wasn't a madman, but rather someone who realized that witches were real and needed to be completely done away with. And in the Hammer of Witches, it also included the procedures of the examination of witches, which we will be going over right after this brief commercial break. Alright, so when you hear the word witch, a few images might come to mind. Maybe you'll picture a pointy hat, perhaps a cauldron, broomsticks, and or perhaps a witch with a crooked nose and a wart. Your typical hag witch, right? Why do you think that most depictions of witches are usually ugly ones with big crooked noses and warts on them? I used to think that it was because witches are associated with evil and evil is ugly and therefore witches are ugly, which is a valid point. But why the wart? Ah, because there's more to it. It's a symbol. It's a mark of power given to them by the devil himself. It's what is known as a witch's mark, also known as the devil's mark. So in B. Malleus Maleficarum, the witch's hammer, which was basically a manual on how to identify and exterminate witches, it stated that some signs to look out for and to be able to tell if one was a witch included not being able to recite the Lord's Prayer, mumbling too much, but above all, one should look for a witch's mark which was an actual physical indicator on a witch's skin and or part of her body that she had made a pact with the devil. And I don't mean symbols tattooed and or branded on their body such as pentagrams. No. A witch's mark can have various appearances. They can be scars, they can be flat, they can be raised... Color-wise, they can be brown, blue, red. Basically, any birthmark that may seem strange. So, any kind of a skin anomaly. Which was convenient, right? Because that could easily be manipulated if they were looking to accuse anyone of being a witch. But the most suspicious of them all 
were those found on the breasts and or nether regions. If the people inspecting the body of the woman being accused as a witch happened to find something that resembled a third nipple, that woman would automatically be deemed a witch because it was said that that's what they would use to feed and suckle their familiars. What are familiars? Familiars can be spiders, toads, ravens, cats, owls, any animal and or insect that assists the witch and can sometimes help carry out those magical spells. They are basically spiritual guardians that help protect and assist the witch. So through the witch's mark is how they would feed. And so during the witch trials, the accused, usually teenage girls and or unmarried women, would be stripped naked and most of the times shaved. Then they were subjected to a search in front of a jury for an offensive mark. It was a humiliating, invasive, and demeaning process. If this seems a little too intimate, a little too sexual, you're not wrong. Demonologists and occultists believe that a witch's pact with a demon was sealed and included a sexual relationship with him. He would appear in a corporal form to seduce any witch who in exchange for power would give herself to him in both body and soul. He would then scratch, bite, and or lick his new devotee, leaving behind his mark. And by the way, have you ever wondered why witches are associated with brooms? I mean, think back to when you were a child, and you would see depictions of witches with brooms. You would see cartoons with them flying around in their broomsticks. Did any of you ever wonder why? Well, I'm about to tell you. It doesn't necessarily have to do with house chores and a kitchen being a woman's place, no. It is because they would make a sort of paste, a lubricant-type ointment that they would lather on the broomsticks, which they would then use to insert in themselves to masturbate with, and it would get them high. They would hallucinate, and that's how they would commune with the devil. So they would reach other altered states of consciousness to do so. There you go. <laughs> I probably ruined a few of your guys' childhood memories. <laughs> and if not, then the next time you see a cartoon depiction of a witch, you'll have a different perspective. <laughs> All right. Well, 
one of these women, who was actually accused of being a witch, was Agnes Samson. She was said to possess healing powers that she would use frequently on the local townspeople. She was from Scotland, by the way. But when King James VI learned about witchcraft, it left a huge impression on him. So much so that when his ships encountered storms, he blamed it on witches. So what did he do? He rounded up all of those accused of witchcraft and tortured at least six women at a time until they confessed to summoning the storms and sending devils upon the ships. Soon, healers including Agnes were arrested and questioned by the king himself. Agnes underwent violent interrogations, but she stood her ground and denied any of the allegations against her. Unfortunately, that only made matters worse for her, because she was in prison and brutally tortured. She was stripped naked, but her captures found nothing. She was then shaved on every inch of her body, and finally, they found a mark on her nether regions. It is said that she then immediately confessed to witchcraft. She was then hung and burned at the stakes. And to this day, it is said that her ghost still roams the palace where her accuser, King James, once lived. In the Malus Maleficarum, it states that once a confession is obtained, death was the penalty. And this was because death was the only cure for evils of a witch because they cannot be redeemed in the eyes of God. They can only be cleansed and purified by being burned at the stakes. So I wonder, if you, male or female, were to be stripped and shaved, would we find a witch's mark on your body? And before I sign off, I'd like to give a quick shout out to Rita Post, who messaged me all the way from Netherlands. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to write to me and share with me your sleep paralysis experience. That is frightening. (laughs) And you know what? It just happened to me again. I just experienced it last week. And no matter how many times it happens to me, that's just something I can't get used to. It's always a frightening experience, especially when you sense a dark present there in the room with you. But you know what? Protection, 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 whether that be through prayer or setting up wards in your house. It's just a reminder that maybe we need to continue to do that a little bit more often than usual. Hey, especially now, you know, now that the sun is waning and the veil between the realms is thinning. Yeah, we should, we should be getting on that. (laughs) 
Well, guys, if you have any questions or if there are any comments or if there's simply anything else that you just feel like sharing with me, you can reach me at lauralavender.mb at gmail.com and or you can friend me on Instagram at lauralavender.mb. Also, don't forget to check out the website at www.mysteriesbeyond.com. And thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast by listening to Mysteries Beyond. I'm your host, Laura Lavender, and I'll see you guys next episode.